please turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 16. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Metro. And it's always an honor to be here to proclaim the word of God. And I'm excited. We've been going through a sermon series called Fruit of the Spirit. It consists of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We went through love, joy, peace. Today, we'll be examining what it means to have gospel patience. Now, before we go in, let me give you some context. The author, uh, James, is calling the church to be patient. Christians back then were going through immense pressure. They were going through great persecution. They were oppressed by the rich. They were going through great suffering, pain. Yet, the first verse, it says, be patient. James is calling them to be patient because Jesus is going to come back soon. That message was so powerful, so comforting, and so popular uh, that the New Testament authors, they use that over and over again. In the New Testament, there's about 300 or more references of Jesus' return. I mean, John wrote the whole book of Revelation for people who are suffering. See, in our passage today, James is using the message to comfort the church because the only true comfort for the people in the midst of hardship, injustice, and pain was that God will bring complete redemption, justice, blessing in his time when Christ comes back. Likewise, our greatest comfort can be found in the promise that he will return and he will reverse the curse of sin. Until then, we're called to be patient. Friends, I have four points for us today. First, call to be patient with our circumstances. Second, call to be patient with one another. 
Third, call to be patient with God. Lastly, the call to practice patience. Call to be patient with our circumstances, call to be patient with one another, call to be patient with God, and call to practice patience. First point, call to be patient with our circumstances. Read verse 7 with me. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmers wait for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. See, farmers, they have to work hard. You know, they have to plow the land. They have to spread the seeds. They have to protect the seeds from the vultures. And, and so there was a lot of work that, was, that the farmers did. But one thing that they couldn't control was the rain, which was the most valuable thing that they need for the crops to grow. So they were utterly dependent on the autumn and spring rain because those are the two harvest times. It was very important for them. There was no rain, no crop, all their works go down the drain. Likewise, like the farmers, there are things in our lives that we work hard for, whether it's our job, our portfolio, resume, whether that is our relationship, friendships, family, we're called to work it. Um, But if you have to be honest and if you take a real honest look at it, it's we will come to the senses that we don't really have control over these things, most of these things, if not all. So let me give you some scenarios. You can work hard and try your best in your career, but you don't know where you'll be 10 years from now. You could put a lot of money into a stock, but you won't know how much you earn in your returns uh, because stock markets can crash any minute. You can work hard to keep your marriage healthy. You try to be a good husband, good wife, good parent, but you don't know how healthy your family members will be five years from now. One of y'all could get sick. You could spend a lot of time with your, fam- uh, with your friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, but can you be certain you'll have the same relationship a year from now? Life is short. Life is unstable. Life is unpredictable. Therefore, our call to be patient is to understand and recognize that the valuable things that you work for, the precious things in your life, are not something that could be earned or even maintained on your own. It has to be given. It's a gift of God. This is why James says in verse nine, oh, 8, excuse me, you too, just like the farmers, be patient. But he says, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. He says, stand firm. In the Greek, uh, that word is derizo. This is where we get the word steroids. Uh, he's literal, so the literal translation is strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart with what? The fact that the Lord is coming and he's near. James is saying strengthen your heart. We're called to keep hoping even when God's timing may not match ours. We're called to keep trusting even when God doesn't seem like he's near. We're called to keep working even when obeying God seems counterintuitive because Jesus is near. His timing is better. He's closer than we can possibly imagine. His presence is where we can find peace. Stand firm, strengthen your heart with the truth of the gospel. The truth is, he's not keeping anything from you. He gave you his son the most valuable treasure in heaven. You could trust him.
Second point, the call to be patient with one another. Verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So, question. What is a sign of an unstable heart? What is the symptom of an impatient heart? It's grumbling. Throughout the book, James, he teaches us that the words that we utter matters because our words reveal what is in our heart. So he says, don't grumble. Now, before we go into it, I want to I tell you guys or show the voice that he's actually saying this. He's not saying, don't grumble, stop complaining. He says, brothers, sisters, fam, church, metro, don't grumble. James was talking to people who are oppressed. He's saying, don't grumble or you'll be judged. If I, in my own words, he's saying, dude, don't do it. Be careful. Why does he say that, though? Two reasons. One, it hurts others. Two, it's going to hurt you. One, it hurts others. Two, it hurts you. How does it hurt others? Well, grumbling against others is harmful because you're sitting at the seat of judge and you're casting judgment on them. How do you respond to someone when they call you out on something that you're doing wrong? Do you get defensive? Do you justify your actions? Make up excuses or shift blames? Do you fight them saying, well, what about you? Pointing fingers. How do you respond when someone wrongs you? Do you gossip? That's fighting in secret. That's grumbling behind somebody's back. That's murdering their reputation and you're seeking justice for yourself. How do you respond when someone doesn't walk according to the gospel and they keep falling into the same cycle of sin and you've been walking with them for years? Are you measuring their failure with your success? Do you grumble against them saying, they're at it again? Look, that, I, see, I could see that's frustrating, right? I'm sure. But if you give up on them, if you say they've been like this for years, so there's no hope for them, first, how can you say that when God's, God was with you in your perpetual sin? How can you say that when there are people around you that was probably faithful to you? Third, man, that's just hurtful. <laughs> so what some people do, they withdraw from people, and that's hurtful too because you're severing the relationship. If you let your grumbling get out of hand, it's going to get messy. It's going to hurt others. But it's not just going to hurt others, it's going to hurt you. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Many of us live our lives as if judgment is far off. It didn't affect me yesterday, it won't affect me today. If, it won't, if it's not going to affect me today, it's not going to affect me tomorrow. <laughs> The judge is standing at the door. If your grumbling leads you to gossip, spread rumors, if you become irritable and harsh, James is saying, watch out. The judge is standing at the door. 
You know why grumbling hurts you? In the end, grumbling will hurt you because you'll be in a constant cycle of bitterness, darkness, irritability, harshness, resentment, restlessness. Some of you may be experiencing this now. That's what we call hell because when judgment comes, hell will not be a pit of fire that you get thrown into. Hell is an everlasting grumbling that will never cease. There will be no love, no joy, no peace, no resolve, no redemption, no true justice. It's going to corrode your heart. You'll be stuck in an ongoing cycle of restlessness that you choose to be in. So friends, if I had to put it simply, grumbling, grumbling is a symptom of impatience because waiting on the Lord is not enough. You have to take justice into your own hands. You have to take action for yourself. But look at James. Look at what he wrote. Brothers, sisters, fam, Metro Church, don't grumble. Christ is coming. He is near. And he's calling us to be patient with one another. First point was the call to be patient with our circumstances. Second point was the call to be patient with one another. The third point is the call to be patient with God. This is the most important one because if you're patient with God, you're going to be patient with everything else. If you're impatient with God, you're going to be impatient with everything else. This point is really important. So let's go into it. What does James say? Verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience and the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James, is, he doesn't give you specific names, so I'll give you some examples. James is saying, look at someone like Hosea. He was a prophet. God called Hosea to marry Gomer, a prostitute, that will be unfaithful to him so that he might understand how God feels with his relationship with Israelites. Man, that's, that's tough. He called Hosea to marry someone that would be unfaithful to him. James is saying, look at someone like Jeremiah. His job was to tell the Israelites that not that they're going to win the war, that, that God anointed and called them to lose. Man, that's, a, that's so encouraging, no? <laughs> James is saying, look at someone like Isaiah. At one point, he had to preach naked. Uh-uh. Eventually, Isaiah died. He was martyred. He was sawed in two. Man, the prophets, their, their job was so tough. Their message, hard to hear. And they went through so much trial, tribulations, yet look at how patiently they obeyed God. Verse 11, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and seeing what the Lord has finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James says, well, look at Job. He lost his wealth, he lost his children, his health, and his wife said, curse God and die. Friends, that's chapter two. If you didn't know, Job has 42 chapters. That's the first two chapters. And for about 40 chapters, God is nowhere to be found. We don't know how long those 40, chapter was, uh, 40 chapters were. It could be 40 hours, 40 days, 40 weeks, 40 months, 40 years. All I know, four minutes in agony seems like an eternity. He was suffering for a very long time. 
Yet, James is saying, look at Job. He persevered. He was blessed in the end. Now, if you're like me, I still got a problem. I still got a problem because maybe at this point you believe God is powerful. Maybe he is near. But the question is, where is he then? Why did the prophet have to suffer? Why did Joe have to go through all that? Why are there injustices in the world? Why am I suffering? I don't know the answer to that question. Here's what I can say. I know what the answer can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love you. It can't be that he doesn't, that he's indifferent about it. Why? Because then Jesus wouldn't have come down. So James says, look at the prophets. Look at Job. But better yet, let's look at Jesus. He says, look at the prophet, Job, but let's look at Jesus. Look at how compassionate he is. Look how merciful he is. Look at how the, you want to know how you get gospel patience? You got to look at how God was patient with you or people throughout the history. See, Israelites kept testing God's patience throughout history. The reason why God sent so many prophets was because they never listened. <laughs> yeah, look at how patient God is with them. And likewise, in your life, God sees all your shame, guilt, all of your sins, all your mess, and yet he still chose to love you. And so the way that he chose to love you was give you his most valuable treasure in heaven, his son. The only way for you to experience gospel patience is if you see how Jesus was patient with us. Look at the compassion of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus cried, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was pleading for those who were crucifying for him. Look at his love. He covers all their sins. Look at how passionate, or patient, excuse me, he is with his sinners. Look at the mercy of Jesus. If anyone had the right to grumble, if anyone had the authority to judge, it was Jesus. All the prophets were pointing to Christ, right? And so Jesus had the power, the authority, and every reason to have judgment. But instead of judging, the judge was judged for our sin. And on the cross, he experienced bitterness of death, the ultimate darkness, full wrath of God, and ultimate restlessness so that we might experience the sweetness of his resurrection, the ultimate hope, the righteousness of God, and the rest in the gospel. Look at how blessed we are. Friends, look at the trustworthiness of Jesus. Look at verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and no, no. It's almost climactic because he says, above all, in conclusion, in all of this, my brothers, do not swear. Let your yes be yes, no be no. Most, if not all of us, fail at this because this is talking about integrity. Most of us who claim to be Christians in our heart say no to God and yes to sin. Well, Jesus said no to sin and yes to us. 
He said yes to the obedience of God. Look at the humility and the integrity of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the promise of the Old Testament. He's the savior and redeemer that they were all waiting for. So when he says, I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm going to completely renew everything. He means it, and we could trust that. Look at his track record. All the promises that God made in the Old Testament, Jesus had fulfilled when he came down and died on the cross. If he kept his promise throughout the centuries, surely he'll keep his promise with you today. Friends, Jesus saved us through his infinite costly patience, his life for ours. And because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, because he lived the life that he should have lived and died the death that we should have died, God the Father will be infinitely patient with us. There's hope, there's peace, joy, love that we could have from him. To the degree you believe this will be to the degree you have patience with God because you will know, trust that he's for you, that he's near. To the degree that you believe this, you're going to practice patience. Fourth and last point, call to practice patience with others. I got, now, the book of James is a very practical book. It teaches us how we could do that individually, with God, with community. So let me give you five points, five short applications for how you can practice patience and look to Christ. First, practice going to God with your prayers. Verse 13 says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Let's look at Job, okay? Job wasn't perfect, but he went through a lot. So his response was that of grumbling, of complaining, of questions and doubts. So there's a lot of things that he, we can learn from his book where he didn't do wrong, but there's one thing he did right. One thing he did right was he never stopped going to God. He grumbled, yet he went to God with it. He complained, he went to God with it. He had doubts, he went to God with it. When he was troubled, guess what? He went to God with it. Friends, I just want to say it's okay to be real in your suffering because gospel patience doesn't mean that you don't cry, you don't, you're not suffering, or you're sad. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't mean that you don't have questions. Job had questions. He just went to God. Therefore, when you're in trouble, my hope is that you'll go to God with your prayer. Secondly, uh, I hope that you practice coming to Sunday worship. Verse 13 also says, um, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. The whole point of uh, Sunday worship is that we get to praise God because of all the good things that he do, not just the way that he was comfort us when things are going bad. Whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly, we can look at him. We can worship, sing song, praise him. So keep coming through. Third, practice gathering as a community. Verse 14, 
If any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him. Um, elders were pastors and overseers. They were leaders that can give you guidance that your friends might not be able to give you. Now, the, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to have friends. We just need more than friends. We need people from all levels of faith coming together, practicing patience. We need a body of believers. That's why we have community group. Therefore, if you're not already plugged in, my encouragement to you is to plug in to the life of the church. Fourth, uh, practice sharing your, uh, no, practice praying with uh, resurrection in mind. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, um, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And so practice praying with resurrection in mind, meaning sometimes um, you're going to go through a sickness or eventually you're going to be sick and you're going to be around people who are sick and death might become a common thing for you. It's inevitable. But if you pray with the resurrection in mind, anticipating Christ's return, then the sad reality of death is just not another beginning. A new life where there's no persecution, no life of no tears, no more sleepless nights or sorrow. So the end is a new start to a new relationship with God. When you go through the worst days of your life, you can find hope in Christ knowing that it's not the end. Last, practice sharing your sin and burden with one another. Verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Hmm. I don't know where everybody is, but I know there's some of you that are sitting here watching online that may have went through a lot of suffering. Maybe you went through a lot of pain, sorrows, maybe you went through a lot of betrayal, relational betrayal, um, maybe you're a victim of gossip and you're still recovering from a bad reputation. Maybe growing up in a church, people did you dirty. So the concept of a church is not pleasing to you because you only have a bad experience. Maybe you were burned by us. We make mistakes. First, I just want to say sorry. You know, gospel community is not meant to be that way. Here's the thing, though. Let me remind you that church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We're going to have broken people, sinners in the building. That means things are going to get messy. (laughs) But... The verse says, the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. The righteous man is Jesus. He's praying that sinners can come together and repent with one another. So allow me to end the sermon with this last question. The question is not, will you give church another chance? Will you give Christianity another chance? Church, metro, The question is, will you give Christ a chance 
to powerfully and effectively change you and move you? If the answer to that question is yes, come through. Let's do that together. Let's pray.